Mercy Vineyard, thank you so much for having me be a part of this series, Powerful, where we are centering women's stories in the Bible. And more importantly, we're focusing on how Jesus empowered these women so that they could go empower others. And today I want to focus on the encounter that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. I love stories. You know that saying where a picture is worth a thousand words? Well, I think stories are priceless then in comparison to a picture. Because if I was just to see a picture of you, I wouldn't be privy to the details of how your eyes light up when you talk about your children or your grandchildren. I wouldn't be able to read the nonverbals of how you feel during a certain joyful time in your life that you're telling me about, or how you hold the pain or the sorrow in a specific story, or the anger of when you might cross your arms. If I only ever see a picture of you, I can never know the tone and the texture of your voice. I, I could never know the richness or the um, melodic tone of the voice that God gave you. So yes, I am a huge fan of stories and hearing people's stories. So I love this series and I love that you are centering on women at Mercy Vineyard and how we've got these vignettes throughout Wednesdays and Sundays to see who you are and to hear your stories. Specifically, I wanna give a shout out to Sarah Jefferson. Your story meant so much to me, your inspiration, your courage. You are a bright light, keep shining. You know, stories are something that are important for us to connect. It's important for us to know that we belong. And I know that um, you haven't met me yet and I haven't been able to meet you maybe someday because I'd love to hear your stories, but we do have the Dawkins family in common. And most of Gary and Lakita's stories that um, mesh with me and my family involve laughter, deep conversation, and really good food specifically seafood. So Mercy, do me a favor and make sure he gets a hookup with all the best seafood places in Minneapolis. Cause I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. A Gary without seafood is a very sad Gary and we don't want that. So make sure that you just hook him up with all the great places to eat and their family will be forever appreciative. They are salt of the earth people. We love you guys and we bless everything that God is gonna do. And I cannot wait to hear the stories coming out of all that God has for Mercy Vineyard and the Dawkins family. Now, one of the things that Gary and Lakita do so well is wanting to know your story. When my husband and my kids arrived on the scene here in Syracuse, we were outsiders. We had moved here from Southeastern PA. We didn't know anybody. And when we met Gary and Lakita here at the vineyard in Syracuse, they didn't wanna just get to know us for what we could do or what we could do for the church or our ministry. They wanted to know who we were and what our stories were. And that is what Jesus does here in the story of the Samaritan woman. So we're gonna hang out in John chapter four pretty much the entire time. And in the Samaritan's woman's story, what we get to see is Jesus giving us keys to unlock our stories. God's story, we're in his story, and he empowers us to unlock our stories so that the Holy Spirit empowers others because of what we've been through.
So let's pick up in John 4. John 4, verse 4, and we're going to meet and see how Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. Again, John 4, verse 4. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In fact, in some translations it says that she refers to herself as a despised Samaritan woman. There are a few things that we need to know about historical and cultural context at this very moment that Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman. Something that our modern Western American eyes cannot have a lens to look through unless we understand the temperature of this time. And so a few of those details, those cultural details, would be that there is animosity between, and that's putting it lightly, the Jewish uh, people and the Samaritan people. They have argued over religious um, traditions, over where the correct place is to worship, and there has been a religious tension, um, even a hate towards each other. Also during this time, in Jewish culture, men are being taught by rabbis, Jewish leaders, scribes are influencing scripture. And one of the most influential and detrimental, detrimental uh, men of this time, a Jewish leader named Ben Sira, was writing his own version of Proverbs. He wanted it to be included in the Torah. Now, thankfully, because I'm going to read some of his writings, you will see we are very thankful that it did not get included. A lot of his writings were detrimental to women, derogatory towards women, downright disgusting. But he was influencing Jewish men's minds toward women. And Jewish men despise Samaritans. And so especially Samaritan women would be lower than that. So we have a Jewish culture, a subpar Samaritan culture, and then women who were the least of that subpar culture, the most oppressed, the most marginalized. And here she is with our clues from scripture that she's even despised among her own people because as I read, she was at the well with Jesus at noon. Now, the cultural piece of that is that she should have been at the well in the morning with other younger women or women who had daughters so that they could have help carrying these heavy, heavy jars and jugs, clay pots for water to draw them up from a deep well. And to walk this well was estimated to be one and a half miles from outside of the village of Sychar. So when they went to to uh, draw from the well, it was tough work. And then to hang these heavy pots on each side of their wooden bar, um, maybe 50 to 60 pounds worth of water on their backs and walk a mile and a half to back to their homes, maybe more, depending on where they lived, 
was not work you wanted to be doing alone. And the only reason you would be alone is if you were despised and an outcast of your own people. She truly was the lowest of the low. So when she sees Jesus at the well and is completely shocked that he would talk to her, we can't disregard that as just, oh, a man was giving attention to a woman, and that didn't happen very often in that time frame. It was deeper than that. There was an image of a Jewish man who she has learned despised her, was disgusted by her presence. Jewish men in her uh, memories would have walked to the other side of the street had she been down the same street as them. Jewish, Jewish men would have thrown out anything that she touched because she would have been unclean. Um, and so, again, Ben Sira was writing during these times bits and pieces like this to influence men. I'm going to read some of his writings right now. A gift from the Lord is a silent wife, and nothing is so precious as her self-discipline. Charm upon charm is a wife with a sense of shame, and nothing is more valuable than her bound-up mouth. Something else that he wrote in the last chapter of his writings, better is the wickedness of a man than a woman who does good. It is a woman who brings shame and disgrace. Anybody else talking to their neighbor and saying, hold my earrings? You're not alone. So this is why in the beginning of John 4, the disciples are pleading with Jesus to go around Samaria. This is why it is so shocking that he would even go to Samaria. Most travelers who were Jewish would completely circumvent the city because they did not want anything to do with Samaritans. And this is why she is so shocked to the core that he is even interacting with her at all. In fact, I want to give you a story of when my son Kellen was two. He's eight years old now, but so this was six years ago. He was having the most difficult time sharing, and we were trying to get him to share every chance we could. This one moment in particular, he finally wanted to share his drink with me, and I was among friends and family, and this should be an exciting breakthrough. Only problem was, Kellen had a massive lava of snot coming down his nose, going over into the sippy cup that he had just taken a sip out of, the very sippy cup he decided he finally wanted to share with me. Disgusting! Everybody's watching. Everybody knows how hard we've been trying to get him to share. And so I went in and I grabbed that cup and I said, thank you for sharing with mommy as I put my lips up to this snot-covered sippy cup. And yeah, that is the picture. And that is the level of disgust, unfortunately, that these two cultures had towards each other. And that is the level of disgust that was her reality and what she thought Jesus thought about her. And so as she continues to meet Jesus, he changes her mind. But that very first key that we can understand is that our story has purpose. Jesus is so intentional about going to Samaria and about meeting her at noon because he is so intentional towards her. He is so intentional towards you and I because our stories have purpose. Now, key number two, our stories spill supernatural power. 
When we trust the Holy Spirit with the words of our lives' stories, his power spills out. It is not anything of our own strength. So let's pick back up with Jesus in verse 10. Jesus answered her, If you knew, let me just hold up for a second. If you knew, the original Greek word used was if you eidos. If you eidos, meaning not if you knew, if you, if you had an understanding, if you could just have a light bulb moment. It meant if you could only be aware that you belong to me. If you could only be aware that you are family to me. That's what that word eidos meant to someone listening with the original language of this Bible. So we need to know that Jesus answered her, like, if you only knew you belonged to me, and the gift of God who it is that asks you for a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And as did also his sons and his livestock. You see, back in Genesis, Jacob was, was trying to fulfill Abraham's promise from God to find the, the Israel tribe's promised land. And so he was sojourning. He was an outsider himself. And he was digging in the desert for a well to feed his family, to water his family and his livestock. Now, this particular mountain, of course, it still exists. It's on the West Bank in Israel. And when I was there, I learned the well still exists and it still draws water. And so I have to imagine that Jesus just had so much joy meeting this Samaritan woman at the well because he knew Jacob and he knew when this well was built. And I wonder if he looked down at that time that his presence was with Jacob at the time that he was building this well with his sons. And I wonder if he smiled, knowing he was going to meet her on this day. I also find it fascinating that during my time in Israel, I learned that this particular mountain in Sychar, in that region, it did not have water coming up through the mountain. So, so digging a well was pretty ridiculous. The water was actually circumventing the mountain. The water was actually going around the mountain and feeding into other pools at the bottom. So for the Jacob and his sons, for them to believe that they could tap into water and it would spring up was absolutely supernatural. So the reason the well existed that we can um, imply from scripture is purely because God wanted it to. That the well exists as a spring simply because God wanted it to well up. And so Jesus answers her when she is questioning, do you think your water is better than Jacob? Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water at this physical well, they'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. So there is this mention uh, specifically of living water and a spring. And I want to just highlight that the spring is very important here. It's a spiritual key for us to unlock how to unleash our stories. See, a spring has no known source of power. 
Versus living water, there is usually gravity or weather elements, like a river. It is flowing. It is moving. There is a force that can be known. But a spring, a, a true spring in nature, there isn't a known force. It just wells up on its own. And that is why God is so intentional to allow the Holy Spirit for Jesus to say these words and for us to have them in scripture. Because Jesus created this opportunity for us to have the Holy Spirit, which is an indwelling well of his power. And it just springs up from eternity in, inside of us. And that's why he says, I will give them what will become a spring of water. So I want you to keep that in mind, not only when you're reading scripture, but specifically for this story and for our stories. Because the beauty of it is that that means that the power isn't in our flesh. That means that the ability to show up and tell our stories about our lives, to tell our God stories about where his power was in our lives or is moving in our lives, it is up to him to do the transformative work. It is up to the Holy Spirit to move through us, to empower someone else. We're not the powerful ones. We need to be the faithful ones. When we are the faithful ones to tell our stories of where Jesus is in our lives and what he has done, then he shows up with the power. And so she says in her innocent response, not understanding the spiritual aspect yet, please, sir, the woman says, give me some of that water in verse 15 so that I won't get thirsty and I won't have to keep coming here to draw this water. You know, but unfortunately, that's not what Jesus meant. We will still have to do some physical work. We still will have to be scared to tell our stories. We still will have to be vulnerable to share not just the good parts. Because the, the, the key is here to um, share our story in number two and let the supernatural spill out. We have to share the hard parts too. You know, it's pretty easy to share the good stuff, the sweet stuff, miracles, healings, blessings. But when we are wounded, when we've had addictions, or we've been divided, or we've been wrong, or we've been ignorant, or we've had a, a failed relationship, or a financial mistake, any of these things create us to be in a place where we don't feel like our stories could possibly be powerful. But we serve a God who deals with the impossible and makes it powerfully, powerfully relevant to bringing kingdom to this earth. So those parts of our lives where the stories are that the Holy Spirit reminds us in our weakness, he is strong. In our brokenness, he is perfect. So I wanna read some of the harder parts of her story, share some of my harder parts, and challenge you to be there where yours are hard, and challenge us to share those stories. So we're going to read in verse 16 now. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you are with now is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. 
So I love this part of the interaction between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. She says honestly to him that, yes, I can't go get my husband. I, I don't have a husband. I'm not married. And he says, you're right, affirming that she was honest. And then she says, and then he reminds her, actually, you've had five husbands. So what you've said is true. And there's actually been more hurt there. And so what Jesus is doing is he is not condemning her. He is naming her shame and pain, but at the same time, honoring her honesty. And so the key number three that we're looking at is that we are honestly heard by Jesus. And honestly, we need to be heard. Our stories need to be told, even the hardest ones. So maybe you have stories like mine, trauma, informed, shame, I have an origin of a dysfunctional family, a, a genealogy, a lineage filled with addictions and self-destructive habit, habits, um, abuse in multiple forms. I'm still working through my own trauma healing of infertility and pregnancy losses. I'm still working through um, trauma healing for sexual abuse that happened when I was a child. I'm still learning how to not resent my body when I live with chronic pain from autoimmune issues. So when I read this section of the interaction with Jesus and the Samaritan woman, highlighting the hardest parts of her story, I can see myself in this story. Do you? Do you have pain that you haven't been able to be honest about? Do you, do you have trauma that you haven't been able to to uh, be honest with Jesus about, we can trust him with the hardest parts of our story. So when I see those interactions, I don't hear an aggressive voice like some of us with trauma-informed pasts could possibly interpret Jesus at this moment. I hear a loving friend who says, you're right, you just told the truth, you were honest. Let me tell you that I know all of it. And I'm not ashamed of you. I'm affirming you. So when I hear that, I think of my own moments like, you know, COVID-19 eating. Like, Jess, you're right. When Jesus and I talk about it, Jess, you're right. You, you did overeat pizza. Um, thanks for being honest. And, and actually, you overate five slices, you know. Or you're right when you said you were drinking and rebelling in college. In fact, that was your entire junior and sophomore year. Or he says... You're right when you feel unworthy to preach or teach because you have pain and brokenness and you're trauma-informed. But you were hurt by someone who should have been protecting you. Or sometimes when we talk about when I lose my cool with the kids and I have two teens, a preteen, and an eight-year-old. Enough said? So when I talk to him about moments and when I'm angry, he's like, you're right, you did let your anger out. In fact, those words still bother you today. So when we see him say, you're right, you have no husband. In fact, you've had five. And the man you're with today is not your husband. He's meeting her with love, affirming her that her honesty matters, and accepting her. So what this does is set them up for this next section of scripture that I'm going to paraphrase. It is beautiful. And Joe taught us about it last week in Mary's way of sitting at Jesus' feet. That's happening here as well. So I'm going to just summarize the next several uh, verses in this section. 
Jesus and her start to dialogue about a very theological discussion. They talk about all the reasons the Jewish and Samaritans have tension because of worship. Um, he begins to disciple her. This is where he is empowering her in a position where only men were allowed to discuss these things. Only men were allowed to debate and teach each other about scripture. And so this section from verse 19 until uh, verse 26 is just amazing that he is doing this with a woman and specifically a Samaritan woman who is thought of to be the lowest of the low. So after this conversation, she says in her own words, I don't know about everything you just told me, but I do know that there is one called the Christ, the Messiah, and we, when he comes, he's going to sort all this out. And then Jesus declares, I, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now I have an amazing clip. It's from this program called The Chosen. It's free on YouTube. They have an app. I highly recommend it for studying the Bible alongside of it. And I want to share this clip with you because the interaction of Jesus, if you're a visual learner like me, and the Samaritan woman in this clip is absolutely amazing as they have this discussion that we just read in scripture and it changes her forever. And then we're going to see how because of his empowerment in this clip, she's empowered to go change an entire village with her story. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes, that explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with, but you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. 
You promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> Wait! You're what, dear? You forgot your, um... Foxy, oh man, you told me everything I ever did! <laughs> um, Rabbi, we've got food. What would you like? Ah, I have food to eat that you do not know about. Who got you food? Wait a minute. You told her? Mm -hmm. And she can tell others? What food? My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. Y you told her where you are? Mm -hmm. So does that mean... It means we're going to stay here a couple of days. It's been a long time of sowing. But the fields are ripe for harvest. And so it's time. Let's go. Yes! One of my favorite things in that clip is when she says, I'm gonna go tell everyone about what you just told me. And he says to her, Jesus says back, I was counting on that. And then she runs into the village. And again, remember, it's a mile and a half away. She runs, hopping there at the end, exclaiming, I wanna tell you about a man who told me everything about myself. I don't know about you, but when Jesus and I have conversations about the hardest parts of my story, I don't necessarily really want to run into the main street in my town and say, guys, let me tell you about everything I ever did wrong, anything that ever brought me shame and misery and wounded me. I want to tell you all about it right now. And I want to tell you about Jesus. But that is how good he is. And he is too good to be kept a secret. And so I personally can no longer hide the hardest parts of my story because he can be glorified in it and it can be for my goodness and I can trust that. And I now know that it's just better than hiding the story because hiding my hardest parts of my story hide Jesus. And again, he's just too good to be kept a secret. So she throws off her jug, that heaviness, that oppression. She throws off her water jugs. She runs into town and says, I want to tell you about this man that told me everything about my life. In verse 28, 29, and 30, this is what she is saying. Come see him. Could it be the Messiah? So even in her curious and, and still maybe a little bit of doubt, she says, he knows me intimately. He tells me I'm part of his family and I belong and he knows the worst parts of me. He values me. I want you to know about him. And she personally became vulnerable and told everything about her part of the story. So everyone in her village, they came out of the town and made their way toward him, verse 30 tells us. In 39 to 42 to close, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony or story. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of Jesus' words, many more became believers, and they went back to the woman and said, We no longer believe just because of what you said. We know this man really is the Savior of the world. So she was vulnerable, empowered by Jesus, told her story. It led them back to Jesus. 
and he empowered them and transformed them and they became saved and believed that he was the savior of the world. And so this is the pattern, this is the keys that we have to unlock our story, that Jesus can be trusted with even our hardest parts, that Jesus will empower us with the Holy Spirit so that when our words go out, our words in our stories, even our wounded stories, our words will spill out supernatural power. And it won't be because of our power or anything that we have to do or any qualification that we have to have or any title or any economic background, any type of human status, any type of cultural definition or historical context. None of that can contain our God's stories from doing what it is supposed to do. His Holy Spirit will do the transformation work as we saw in the end there with the Samaritan woman. So my encouragement and challenge to you is throw off that heavy water jug in your life. Throw off that voice that tells you you're not enough. Throw off that story that is telling you that you are unworthy. Throw it all off and go to your village. And go to the village for you would be school, work. Maybe you start sharing your story with trusted friends at church. And maybe you don't share all of your story to everyone. Use discretion and wisdom. Maybe you are going to start sharing your story with your ministry groups. But I am challenging you to go further than that. Be like the Samaritan woman who was despised by her own village that she is becoming vulnerable to. And tell your friends, tell your family, tell your school, tell people in your city, tell strangers about this good too good to be kept a secret Jesus and what he has done for you so that it can empower others to want to know him and the Holy Spirit will do the transformative work. Mercy Vineyard, I encourage and bless you to tell your stories because they're Jesus' stories merged with your life and they will change and transform Minneapolis. Let me pray for you. Holy Spirit, thank you Thank you for your presence today. Thank you for every person that's been able to hear this message. Will you do what you're famous for and will you show up and do the transformative work? And will you empower all of us to continue to tell our stories? Amen.